testimony today that no matter what happens in our life, no matter how hard things get, no matter how good things get, you will always be praised in our life. That we will recognize you for your love and your goodness and, and the way in which you just, you fill us in the times of emptiness and you give us every bit of love and life that we've ever had. And so we praise you, God, for this world, for this beautiful life that we have. We pray that we would be ambassadors of your love to the world that needs to hear that you are a God who loves us, that you seek to embrace us. And even in this time, we pray that our hearts would be softened so that the words you speak to us would sink deep into our soul, so that our minds would be transformed, our hands would be moved, and our feet would begin to climb the mountains that you've placed before us that are, that are there for us to give glory to you, for us to recognize your goodness and to proclaim it to the world. And so we pray in this time that we would, we would as a body, be united and, and, and more and more to live with one heart, one heart for you, God. And we praise you and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Amazing day today. Oh my gosh. Uh, so last night we did have Vine Street. There were like, I don't know how many people show up to that. Seems like tens of thousands to me. They go to Vine Street every year. And so we had about a thousand kids ride on this sledding hill, five tons of snow that we put on the street in downtown Paso Robles. And so I took a couple of pictures and they all happen to have my kids in them. I just don't know why. But this is me with Luke. He's three and a half. And after he did that, I said, Luke, do you want to do that again? And he said, never, never want to do that again, dad. I'm serious. He did not want to have anything to do with that. This is my daughter, Ella. Uh, she had a good time. She had teeth before she did this, but, you know, she still had a good time. No, she didn't lose teeth on this. But she went with her friend Mia, which is Ben's daughter, and it was so cute to see the kids having these forever memories and starting to realize that there's nothing impossible with God. They started to realize that, that there is a place for dreaming in this world. Having an expand, expanded mind and expanded heart as to what God can do in our lives. And so that, that, I believe, is the message that we had. I want to thank the volunteers and especially Katie, who led that team of volunteers yesterday. And they had to shovel the snow on there. They had to shovel it off. And she actually has an ability to motivate volunteers who have frozen fingers uh, from the ice and the snow, who have seen sometimes the 50th kid come on that sledding hill. And yet Katie, every time, was excited and motivated. And I love what she said. She said she ran into that little girl that was like, I don't know how old she was, but she, the little girl said, Katie, I have no fear. Push me down that hill. I can go as fast as you want. Just push me down the hill. So, so yesterday was a good day, but I think because it was so much about dreaming, it's a perfect way to begin the message today because the question I have for you today is what have you been dreaming about lately? Like what, what dreams did you have last night even? I, I actually don't want to know, but I just want you to think about it, okay? I want you to think about it. And I ask this question to my kids every single morning. I say, hey, kids, uh, how, how did you sleep? Good. What did you dream about? That's what I always ask them. And do you know what they say? Nothing. 90% of the time they say, I didn't have any dreams at all. And um, maybe once or twice a year, I hear them say, hey, you know what? I had this dream and it's fairly, you know, like confusing. And, and so I started to wonder, do we have dreams all the time? And science tells us that we do that every single night you and I dream. We have these vivid dreams. We have dynamic dreams, but something happens when that alarm clock goes off, doesn't it? Have you ever had that happen? You have a really vivid dream. Suddenly the alarm clock goes off. 
You wake up, you realize that you're late for somewhere and you got to get going. And then about two hours later, someone says, what did you, you try to tell someone what happened in that dream and you can't for the life of you remember what it was, right? You know that experience? And so that's what I want to, I want to talk about these dreams because I believe that there's a way for us to remember the dreams because they're important. And I, I, there's a way for us to start to, to capture not just the dreams, but the voices of God, the voice of God speaking to us throughout our life. And so I want you to think about, have you dreamed lately? And if you can't remember it, I feel like we can get some tools uh, along the way to encourage us and also to, to help us remember those dreams. So the story today is, is a Christmas story. It's the story of Joseph. You guys are familiar with that guy. Uh, Joseph, that is the Joseph that was married to Mary. And... Um, and the father, uh, the earthly father, the adopted father of Jesus, stepfather. And so these are the words uh, from scripture, Matthew chapter one, verse 18. It says these words. This is how the birth of Jesus, took, uh, Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. By the way, that's, that's a big statement, right? Joseph was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. So interesting. Uh, we know that Joseph doesn't want to humiliate Mary, but I, I, I actually want you to notice that Joseph must have had one of the lowest moments of his entire life. Can you imagine that time when he's thinking, he's deliberating, and he decides that what needs to happen, he's thought about all of the other possibilities for his life and for Mary's life. And the really only path that he could imagine forward is that of calling off the engagement to the one he was promised to love for the rest of his life. The kind of grief that he would have, I want you to imagine the tears that were streaming down his face. I feel like we can just move past this moment without realizing what a dark place Joseph was in. How hard this must have been because he hadn't told Mary yet. That he had, that he had, he had this, this news, was he rehearsing the words that he was going to say to Mary to try to rationalize and explain how he was going to leave her hanging? I, I think this is, this is important because I, I believe that sometimes we're in moments like that in our own lives, that we get to those places where we have thought about every single possibility and we can only see one narrow option, one option. And this is what the scripture says. The angel speaks to him. It says, as he was thinking about this, I love that we actually get to see inside of Joseph's brain. 2,000 years ago, we can hear Joseph's thoughts, right? It says, as Joseph was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now, by the way, son of David is a really important title. The angel's reminding Joseph that he is the great ancestor of King David. You remember King David with the Goliath and, the, and ki killing Goliath with the stone? That King David. You remember David of uh, Bathsheba? That King David. David, the father of, of other great kings. That's the David. And so the angel is saying, son of David. Or another word would be heir to the throne heir to the throne of David, one of the potential heirs of the throne. So the angel says, son of David, read these words with me, these three words. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, last year, we, last year, last week, feels like a year since last week, honestly, 
But we had studied the story of Mary and the visitation of the angel, and we discovered that pretty much every time that an angel visits someone in the Bible, they start with what three words? Don't be afraid. Every single time. Except this time it's different because usually it's just don't be afraid and then the message comes, right? But this time it's different. The angel this time says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You see, we start to undercover if we pay attention we start to circle the words and pay attention to what's happening, we realize that the reason that Joseph is calling off the engagement to Mary is because he's what? He's afraid. And now he might have rational fears. We don't want to diminish those. I mean, really, he was thinking, how is Mary not going to be, you know, punished possibly with the death sentence? Because no one's going to believe the story of her being, receiving a baby by way of the Holy Spirit, Right? Instead, Joseph is thinking about things that he's afraid for other people, even if not afraid for himself. But that angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. But here's a, here's a thought. Fear tends to inhibit our, our motions toward love. So we have a direction of love in our life. There's this thing called fear that gets in the way over and over again. And I feel like what the angel was telling Joseph is to pursue love. To be the kind of person who pursues love with his life. But here's the thing. You don't think that, you don't think that fear inhibits love. Just go to a middle school dance, right? <laughs> Do you guys remember middle, middle school dances? All the boys are on one side of the room, right? And all these beautiful girls are dressed up looking as good as they can over on the other side of the room. And by the way, I want to tell all the girls that dress up for dances, the reason that the boys aren't asking you to dance isn't because you're beautiful, isn't because you're not beautiful, it's because you are beautiful. In fact, they're, they're afraid of you, you're so beautiful. And those boys are such fraidy cats because they can't cross the room because they're so afraid and it's a rational fear. What is the rational fear? Rejection, that's right. The rational fear is if you walk across the room and you ask the girl to dance, she's going to say no. And then what happens? Oh, social rejection and laughing. No, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you scared. <laughs> but you know what happens in life is we, we continue this cycle of allowing fear to inhibit our emotions toward love. We do it when we say, hey, you know what? I feel like I'm being called to, be, to serve as a medical professional. God is calling me to be a doctor, but then suddenly you start to think about all of the years of schooling or maybe how much it's going to cost to go to school or maybe you think about how hard the math is or whatever those things are that inhibit your mind and say, no, this can't be possible for you in your life. Or maybe it's some point in your life you feel like you're called, you have this love, this passion brewing in you to become an artist. I'm sorry, parents, I am speaking to your kids right now. But there's an artist and you feel like you want to follow a career path in art, but all of those fears of not having enough money and not being able to provide for your kids. So as a result, you inhibit your path toward love. Or maybe you want to serve your country. You think about all the things that you could do, but fear gets in the way of serving other people in some way, either through church or armed services or, or serving people just in the daily work of life. But fear inhibits those things. And I believe that what the angel is saying to Joseph is the same thing that the angel is saying to us. Do not let fear get in the way of love. See, Joseph was going to forego a whole entire life of love to marry 
this wonderful relationship that he was going to have for years and years and years to come because he was afraid of what the immediate outcome might be. The angel says, pursue a life of love. Chase after love and don't let fear get in the way. Now, this is where the scripture takes off. The angel says these words, she will give birth to a son. All this information coming in Joseph's mind. Can you imagine? She will give birth to a son and you, Joseph, will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. So there had been a prophecy ever since David and, uh, David's time. There had been a prophecy that there, from the line of David, there would be a king that would save all of the people. They would save this impoverished nation, this abused, persecuted nation of Israel. They would bring them back from the brink and bring a new era of, of goodness and, and love and compassion and joy as that nation would, would inhabit the earth with this kingdom of God. And, and everybody from the poor to the widows to the orphans, they would all be included in this, every single person of the earth. That was the vision. And so then you have this, this is the little segment of that prophecy that the angel uh, or that the narrative wants us to know. The, the prophecy says these words, look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. Something that's, something that's amazing. And they will call him Emmanuel. And the author wants us to know that Emmanuel means God with us. Now it says, when Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and Joseph called him Jesus. No, Mary didn't get to call him Jesus. Joseph had that privilege of standing there, standing there and proclaiming for the very first time, this baby is to be called Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. Now, by the way, one of the things that people, one of the words that people use for the, for the um, immaculate conception and for the birth of Jesus for Christmas time is the inbreaking. Have you heard of that before? It's this moment where, where, where the breaking in of God into the story of humanity, this, this inbreaking takes place. It's the crashing in of heaven and earth. They're coming together. God, 100% in the flesh of a baby, and, and not just 100% God, but 100% human. 100%. And so then you have this inbreaking that's taking place, and a lot of people who are followers of Jesus, if you ask them, so what is it like to have a relationship with Jesus? They say, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like there's, the Holy Spirit is breaking into my life. There's an inbreaking of the Holy Spirit. I just feel like God is because breaking into my mind and breaking into my heart. Now, but then there's this thing. You know, whenever something new comes into something that's pre-existing, that, that means that there's a change, right? You see, see, you can't have something new added. You can't have the birth of Jesus and not have something change or have an accommodation. And what's happening here is we're seeing that, that there is a, there's a breaking of Joseph's plans. There's a breaking of, of the perfect life that he had imagined that he was going to have this marriage with Mary and that they were going to live out their years and they were going to have kids and everything was going to be perfect. And now it feels like everything is messed up. 
And I think that sometimes we decide to follow Jesus and we feel like we can continue to follow Jesus without a change in our plans, without any amendment or accommodation to Jesus in our life. But what has to happen, necessarily has to happen, is a breaking. There has to be, there has to be a breaking that takes place. And so a lot of times I, I think that we look at this story of Joseph and we, we must think, man, his life was just messed up by God coming into his life, by this baby being born. Everything would have been perfect. But what I want to tell you is that God's plan is perfect. Actually, I think you should just say it with me so you remember it. Say, God's plan is perfect. Now, you say, what about cancer? And we know that cancer is not from God. That's a condition of the terrible condition of this world, the sinful nature of this world. So, so don't put that one on God. But what God does is God does take people who have cancer and bring good out of that, which is unimaginable if you think about it. A place where otherwise you'd only have a message of death, suddenly there's a message of life. I've been serving and been able to preach at some memorial services lately, and the most amazing thing about these people who have cancer is they are life givers. You'll see people who are stuck in a room that are, that are just sitting in a chair and they can't move, but people visit them and they receive the good news of Jesus and they just walk out and the, the rooms are just overflowing with people who can tell the good things that have come out of these people who otherwise you'd only see death. Instead, you see life and goodness. See, that's what God does. God creates his perfect plan out of our life. Now, okay, so Joseph was from this long lineage of King David, King Solomon, all the way down. Even, I think he could have probably, as a little boy, imagined that he would be the fulfillment of the prophecy. Can't you, can't you just see like a little boy? Hey, you know what? You're from the royal lineage. There's a prophecy that out of this line, there would be a king. Can you imagine little Joseph, you know, like imagining that he would be king someday. And then when he got his job as a carpenter, you can imagine maybe those dreams had been subsided of greatness in his own life, but maybe he would say, okay, you know what? Maybe my son or, or daughter would be someday the one to rule. But then this thing happens and God says, Joseph, Mary is going to be the one having the baby and you can imagine almost those childhood dreams just kind of all of a sudden diminished. And, and in a way, you think, was Joseph, this is a question. This isn't an answer. This is a question. Was Joseph looking at Mary having that baby and thinking, I'm not supposed to be a part of that equation. I'm supposed to call this off quietly and she should go there, that her way and my way will be different. I won't be a part of what's going on over there. You see, what God was doing in Joseph's life is actually writing the best story of any person in the Bible. The story of King David can't compare. The story of Solomon, King Solomon can't compare. The story of Rahab the prostitute out of his own lineage and of Ruth the immigrant can't compare to what God did in the life of Joseph. Because Joseph got to stand there at the crib side of Jesus and be able to say, this baby's name is Jesus. Well, then later you say, oh, that's not a very exciting story. I can tell you more. As soon as the baby's born, a bunch of shepherds show up. They say, hey, we saw an angel in the fields. In fact, we saw a multitude of heavenly, heavenly hosts singing glory to God in the highest. And they were all singing about your baby. And then he goes through life. And about three years later, when Jesus is three years old, these wise men come from the east, these magi. 
You all thought that happened at the manger, but it didn't. It happened about three, when Jesus was a three-year-old baby about. That's our best guess. And they came from the east, and it wasn't just like three magi or two. We have no idea how many, probably a few. But with each one of them, there would have been a big caravan. So it was probably like 500 people, like a big parade coming toward this baby Jesus, right? And so they're all coming through with all their wealth. And then what do they do? What do they do when they get to Jesus? Do you know what they do? They bow down. They bow down for, before this three-year-old boy and lift him up as king. Well, then, I mean, Joseph's mind just must have been like, what is going on with my life? This is, okay, this is a little better, God, than what I had imagined. But then it got worse because uh, King Herod knew that there was someone who was claiming to be king and other people were claiming as king and was the rightful heir to the throne in a lot of ways. And so King Herod said, what if I get rid of him? What if I just, he's three, he can't fight back. So King Herod decided he would kill all the three, all the children three years and under. That's how we know that Jesus would have been about three. Three years and under, all of them. And as this terrible thing is happening, Joseph receives a, a warning, a forewarning from an angel saying, you got to get out of here. You got to travel far away and take the baby and escape. So Joseph and his wife, Mary, leave with Jesus and flee from this violence they're experiencing. And they would have been a poor nation, but Egypt would have been a very rich nation nearby. And so they seek asylum. Do you know the word asylum? It's where immigrants run away because they have violence in their country and they seek asylum because they otherwise could be killed. So Joseph and Mary and Jesus seek asylum in Egypt and Egypt grants it to them and they live in that community and Joseph would have been a carpenter there providing for his family until the violence subsided and they could go back to their country in safety. Wow. Joseph's story is getting better and better, isn't it? Then Joseph would have seen his baby, his baby Jesus grow up into an eight-year-old Jesus and that eight-year-old is in the temple teaching all of the priests. Joseph... Joseph thought that he was a bystander, and I think a lot of you and I have too in my life felt that we are bystanders to the story of Jesus. Do you know what a bystander is? It's, it's an audience. A lot of us think that we're just an audience. Like at a football game, we're watching what's going on, and our job is just to kind of cheer and say, go Jesus. But actually, just like Joseph was told, no, 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 you're not part of the audience. I want you to get down on the field. I want you to be part of what's going on. See, you're a part of this work. Your life is just as much potential for being transformative to this world as that of Joseph. And a lot of you have said, hey, you know what? My life has taken this turn and that turn. And I don't believe that. How could God take all of these broken stories, all of this brokenness and bring anything good out of it? But then you can look at Joseph's life and realize it's precisely in those areas of brokenness. It's precisely in those ways in which Joseph's narrative is not the same as other people that God has redeemed it. At no point in King David's life did he see that he would be part of the grand scheme. He just saw day to day. He woke up, he ate. The same thing with Joseph. When he was running away to Egypt, he must've thought, is this really, I'm just, I'm just a bit player. See, God doesn't see you as a bit player. God has every line of your life, every detail of your life recorded. He knows everything. He's watching you and guiding you and shaping your narrative so that it will be one of those stories where 
Yeah, there's brokenness. Yeah, there's sin. Yeah, there's terrible things that have happened, but God can take those things and bring so much beauty so that you're not, a, so that you become a life giver no matter what your circumstances are. So I think that a lot of life is about preparing ourselves and preparing our lives for what's about to come. And that's what this is about, Advent, right? Getting ready for Christmas Day, getting ready for Christmas Eve when this room will be filled with candles and, and there will just be so much joy. So I have to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for not just Christmas Eve but, or Christmas Day, but what God is going to do in your life, the way in which God is going to take, take your life and he is going to break it? And what that means is that you have to concede your dreams for God's dreams. You go from a place of living out your own dreams in your life to saying, you know what, I'm going to live out God's dreams for my life and see what happens. And those things are not always mutually exclusive. Sometimes they work in unison. But to receive the plan that God has for you in your life. And I want you to remember these things. Uh, and but the first one is don't be governed by fear. All right, don't be governed by fear, but instead pursue love. Instead pursue love. Now, by the way, I think I have a tip on how you can become a person that is going to not forget your dreams because I think remembering the dream is one of the big things that we notice. Did you notice that Joseph didn't wake up and go, oh, alarm clock's going off, got to get back to work. I do not know what that dream was. That was, that was an angel, but that must've been a dream. It's kind of weird. I'm not going to do anything with it. Can you imagine that that was the story? No, see, see, remembering the dream is key. And I feel like the way that you remember a dream is you keep a pen and a piece of paper by your bedside. And I did it for years. I'd keep it what it was called a dream journal. Have you heard of that? You keep, it sounds weird, but it's not. It's just called a pen and a piece of paper, okay? And so when you wake up, before the world comes crashing into your life, you write down what you remember. And most of the dreams are really weird, but you come back to the dreams and you go, wow, that one had some significance, actually. I could learn from that. But this isn't really a message about dreams. This is a message about God's voice in your life. This is a message about, about the words that you hear from God in the context of worship. Do you know what? I, I have people that come up to me and say, how did Sunday go? And they're asking me on Tuesday, right? And I say, it was fantastic. It was such a great worship service. And they said, really, what did you talk about? I say, I haven't got the faintest clue. I can't remember at all. And I preached it three times and I prepared it for an entire week in advance and I still can't remember what I preached on Sunday morning. So I'm not gonna give you a hard time if I ask you 10 minutes after worship, what was the message that spoke to your heart? You'd be like, I don't know. I have a donut hole in my mouth. That's all I can think about. Nom, nom, nom. Right? That's, what, that's how it works. You get to the car and you're like, I do not know. I have the faintest clue what, what I heard, but I felt good. They'll say that 90% is just, you remember, you remember what you felt. But you know, I think God's calling us to go beyond just remembering what we felt. And so this is the tip. Keep a dream journal. Okay, that sounds weird. Have a piece of paper and a pen. Not just in worship. Not just in worship to record that one little piece. I remember my mom, when I was a kid, she used to have a, on the back of the bulletin, she would always write like grocery lists, Right? But in the margins, I remember if there was a little, my dad was a preacher, so, and she'd be like, she, they were basically notes to tell my dad how to preach better. But, um, <laughs> hi, mom. She's, she's watching online. Um, so she would just write little notes that, that, that would speak to her heart. And I feel like if we, if we allow 
just these messages to come into our life and we don't record them, if we're not intentional about them. And, and that's not just in worship. It's walking around town. It's when you see a sunset and you feel like God really said something powerful to me. But however you record it, on, you could record it on Facebook. You could record it um, in some way. You could tattoo it on your arms. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. But, but you got to record it. You got to write it down. So you don't forget the messages that God is speaking into your life. And then once you don't forget it, then you can live it out. You can walk forward. So, so I want to um, personally give each one of you today a $500 pen. But I won't do that because I don't have even $500. I was just going to say, but I want you guys to take a pen and a piece of paper today and write down, what is God saying to you? What is that thing that God has been speaking into your hearts? And I'll tell you what, the, the, the transformation that can take place when you're obedient to those words is beyond any dream that you've ever had as you respond. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we bow before you. You are the king. We're so thankful that you are that we don't have to live with these dreams of our own kingdoms or our own thrones. The greatest honor and privilege is to serve you, God. To be a servant in your kingdom is greater than any throne of this world. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would keep working on our hearts, but help us not to forget the words you speak to us, but they would become our testimony to the world. That our lives would become stories of redemption and your goodness lived out. We thank you, God, because you are so good that you, you teach us not to be governed by fear. That you speak through the angels, you speak through the scriptures, you speak through our friends to not be governed by fear. But instead, God, you seek for us to pursue love defiantly, to live that life of adventure that, that goes with pursuing love. And to recognize that no matter what, what the world has thrown at us, no matter how our paths feel like they have been crooked and distorted and messed up, Lord, you come into that and you make a perfect plan from it. Help us today to realize that you do not call us to be an audience to your work in this world. You're calling us to be a part of it. To work hard, to commit ourselves, and to be humble and to submit our life to you so that we can work together to bring about good. So Lord, we, we lower ourselves and we lift you up today. And we thank you that you send us out with the job that the angels wish they had to speak these words, pursue love into the hearts of people who are only filled with fear all over this city, all over this county, this country, throughout the whole world. The need is great, God. The workers are few, but we step forward and we commit our lives to being your faithful servants. And that we could be that, Lord, is the greatest dream come true. So God, keep working on us and help the words that you speak to be ones that are permanent. And never fall away, but are always part of us. 
And we praise you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said,